You guys, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, we're going to do some, a couple things a little bit differently this morning. Um, so some friends are passing out um, a piece of paper. You're going to need it because we're taking a quiz. However, you're not going to turn it in, okay? Nobody's ever going to see the results unless they look, at your, look over your shoulder. So you can write it like this, okay? Um, but be, while they're passing these things out, I just want to remind you that this morning is our Meet the Pastors Coffee Sunday. And going on right through these doors, I can tell you where, we can show you right through those doors is uh, a gathering where Quig and Brian and in a few minutes myself for just a moment, uh, to, a chance to just to meet folks. So if you're new and you wanted to meet all the pastors, um, then I would encourage you to leave. Go right through those doors and then um, come back here next week, okay? Now here's what we're doing while these things get passed out. And you might need a pen. There's a mitt full of pens too. Somebody have the pens? Dan's passing out pens. So you don't have a, if you don't carry a pen around with you, then we'll give you one. What's that? So here's our unit. You're going to need a sheet, and you're going to need a pen, and you're going to take a quiz. And let me tell you the context of this. What we're doing here this summer is we're trying to help you get kind of a foundational understanding of Christianity. So we've talked about what the, what's the gospel message, where do we get assurance of salvation, what is the, uh, the vertical and the horizontal last week, the spirit-filled life, just a whole bunch of number of things. And... I'm going to stop talking. Okay, so we're just going to do this so that if I'm talking, you're listening. We'll just play it like that. So um, we've been doing all these kind of foundational things. And we're now at the point where what I want to do is spend a couple of weeks, not just on the high, high level stuff of like what is Christianity, but to say where, what's the source? Where do we discern all of these things? How do we know What's true, what, how do we know what the gospel is? And how do we know about the spiritual life? And how do we know where assurance of salvation comes from? And the answer to all those things is that God has revealed it in his word. He's already given us, Peter says like this, he says that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through his great and precious promises. And that's really, that's a reference to what he's revealed to us in the scriptures. But it is not necessarily the case. And we don't take as a given that the Bible itself is transparent to you. In fact, to lots and lots of people, the Bible is a black box. It's like, I don't know, it says something, but I don't know what it says. And I really wouldn't even know where I would go to find what it says. Chad, you need one? If you still need, if you need a sheet, go ahead and rip, slip your hand up and we'll get them out here. Ray will hook you up. And if you need a pen, Dan, you got any pens left? So if you need a pen or a sheet, these guys will hook you up, okay? So, so what, we want, what I want you to be at is over time that the Bible is no longer opaque, that it's no longer this, this inaccessible, thick, I don't know what it says. It's like, you know, how, how do I know? But rather that it's like this. Think, think of the Bible like this. It's like this mountain, right? And it's filled with treasures. There's pathways. There's like these mine shafts. And there's like, you know, gold ore here and there's diamonds and gems over here. Maybe there's titanium. I don't know. There's all kinds of things. But if, all, but if you're outside the mountain and you just look in, all you see is this big thick rock. It's like, I don't know what's in there. But if you became familiar with the pathways, if you knew, oh, if I go over to this section of the mountain, this is what I'm going to find here. And if I go into this section of the mountain, that's what I'm going to find there. And so this morning is not for me to get revelation about you, but it's for you to get revelation about you. Well, all I've done is a very, very simple kind of form. As I've just listed the name, there's 27 books in the New Testament. 
There's four Gospels, there's one history book, and then a whole bunch of letters, and then this weird thing called Revelation that says Apocalypse. 27 books. And what I'd like you to know is if you know what each book is about. Do you have any idea? If I were to say to you, Galatians, don't tell me yet, but do you have any idea what's going on in Galatians? What's, what's happening there, right? Is First Thessalonians any different in your mind and imagining than Philemon? Do you know? Like, oh yeah, I know what first, first Thess is mostly about this, whereas Philemon is this little short thing about that. Would you be able to do that in your brain? Okay, that's one thing. Is do I know what each book is about? And then the second question is, second question is, do you have any idea of a treasure that might be found in any given book? Okay, so it might, it might go like this. We'll just, do, we'll just do a couple of these things. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all the Gospels. Four biographies, essentially, about Jesus' life. Four stories that capture his life. But they might all be the same to you. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I don't know. I mean, there's just a smash up of things. Or it might be that at some point you either noticed from reading it or you heard somebody else tell you that Matthew is written in a peculiar way to a Jewish audience, that he quotes the Old Testament like all the time. Um, and so it's, it's a very Jewish-flavored book. Or maybe you might think that Matthew is a book really that has a lot to say about the kingdom. He loves Jesus. When Jesus talks about what he's doing, it's kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Or you could, another way to say the same thing is that Matthew um, figures Jesus is king. Just knowing that, being familiar enough with Matthew, and okay, it's a book about, it's a book for the Jews, that Jesus is the king, it's a book about the kingdom, that's what's going on in Matthew. Now that's not a comprehensive summary, but that's generally a pretty accurate summary of what's going on in Matthew. Or, 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 if we were to ask the question, is there any passage that you know is sourced in Matthew, right? So what, let's, let's shout out a couple of these things. So if you were to say just one or two passages, one, portions of Matthew that are significant, where, what would you go? What, what's, in, what's, a, what's his claim to fame? Sermon on the Mount. Okay, very good. Sermon on the Mount. So chapters kind of five, six, and seven are the Sermon on the Mount. So you might write, for Matthew, you might write, uh, you know, Jewish gospel, Jesus is king, or something. And then you might write Sermon on the Mount 5 to 7. And if you don't know where it is, just say Sermon on the Mount somewhere. That's fine. I don't, I don't care. We're just, just, it's just for you to get a sense of, like, do I know it, okay? Or we'll do it like this. Let's say um, there's this passage, and I forget where it is, but it's something. It's, just, it's the love thing. You always hear it at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not rude, self-seeking, easily angered, right? It keeps no credit all where is that? All right, 1 Corinthians, right? So down under 1 Corinthians, you might just say, yeah, chapter 13, the love chapter, right? And you're just giving yourself, what we're going to do is you're going to build this up. You're not turning these in. But when you're all done, I want you to be able to stand back and say, like, all right, I've got all this, but this is like a big black space for me. Like, I don't know any of these things. I couldn't tell you the difference between 1 Thess and 2 Thess, and I don't have any idea who wrote James. <laughs> James did, okay? So... Whatever, whatever it is, okay? So I want you guys to take, you may not be able to finish it, um, but give it a crack. Take, take a swing at this. And I'm going to run next door to say hello to the folks with the meet the pastor thing. I'll be there for like five minutes. And in the meantime, you guys take five minutes. You're just going to fill it out as much as you can. And if it's blank because you can't fill out anything, no problem. But a week from now and a month from now and a year from now, you could fill it out. Right? You could do this, right? And it might be the right now. I'll just tell you this. It might be the right now. You look at this, you're like, I don't know any of this. That's not fair to give me a final exam. I haven't taken the class. No sweat, okay? Don't worry about it, especially if you've been a believer for like a year. 
But let me, let me challenge you with this. As you're doing it, if you've been walking with Jesus for 25 years and you can't fill this thing out, why is that? How are you choosing to spend your time? Because I'm telling you two things. There's treasure in his word and you can find it. But you have to go into the mountain. You have to make a decision. Every day I'm going to spend some time and I'm going to start building it out. So that's what we want you to get to, okay? There is no shame. We're not turning these in. This is just for you to say, okay, I want to bone up on this or I want to be able to be where I can fill this thing out, okay? So take five minutes. I'm going to disappear. Then I'm going to come back and then we're going to talk about kind of how you guys have filled it all out. Cool? Okay. So I'm curious, which is harder? Is it harder to come up with uh, like just something from a book that you recognize or harder to come up with like this is what the book's about. Who would say it's harder to come up with like I, don't, I can't come up with an event from each book. Is, is that harder? Who would say that's the harder side? Who would say that knowing what the book summary is, that's harder? Okay. All right, that's okay. So, and like I said, the goal, you're not turning these in, but I want, I, what I want, what I'm hoping will happen here just to put all my cards on the table is that you go through this and you're like, oh, snap. I don't know how to do this. And that motivates you to say, I wish I'd like to be able to do this. I feel like I probably should know what Romans is about. I bet it would be profitable if I have some idea what's going on in 2 Corinthians. You know, that'd be, that's what I want. And then, that's cool. Now we just get to work. Let's take a little while. But layer by layer by layer, this black box gets illuminated. You start, you start working your way through the tunnels on the mountain. And you will find that it's filled with treasure. And that you really can't find it. All right, so let's, let's just kind of run through. So we'll, 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 do, uh, we'll do the themes first, right? And I don't have, like, I don't have a written answer. And, some, and we may have a little bit of a different take on things. And it might be that my sense of what's going on in any given book is not immaculate, right? It may be like, oh, that's right. I hadn't, I'm not sure how I'd integrate those two things. But let's just kind of get some familiarity. So Matthew we did, okay? Uh, Matthew is, it's the gospel, the biography of Jesus. Focus on his kingship, his Jewishness, the kingdom is coming. Check, check, okay? How about Mark? Anybody have a sense of what, what's going on in Mark? <laughs> Suffering servant is a great answer. So another biography of Jesus focuses, and of course he suffers at all times, but, but the servanthood of Jesus is really evident in Mark. How do we, what makes you say that, Bob? Do you, why do you know that from the text? Well, because they always divided the four Gospels into the kingship, the suffering servant, the perfect man, and Okay, so you've heard that. Have you ever, have you, could you draw it out of the text? Um, okay, so Mark, a couple of things about Mark. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, 16 chapters. Mark's in a hurry. His favorite word is, do you know his favorite word, Sharon? Yes, that's right, immediately. Immediately Jesus went here. Immediately, Mark's like, like easy, buddy, okay? He's always in a hurry. So you just, if you go through Mark, just underline the word immediately. He's quick, quick, quick. And yes, Sharon, it's more action than words. So the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is kind of wordy in Matthew. But in Mark, he's like, he's got stuff to do. Snap, snap, snap. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So you might, if you're like that, you might like Mark, right? Because it's going to give you a vision of that that makes, that kind of conforms to the way that your mind works, okay? How about Luke? What's going down in Luke? It's a biography of Jesus. What do you got, Joyce? He's good news for the Gentiles. He is. Okay, now, this is excellent. So, whereas Matthew is a very Jewish focus, and we get that because it's full of Jewish scriptures, right? It would be like if you were talking, you, you know this, right? If you were like, uh, if you're quoting from, the source that you quote from says something about the audience you're speaking to, right? 
So if I was trying to appeal, if I was trying to persuade somebody, I'm trying, I can't think of a decent example. I couldn't begin to do this. But if I was trying to persuade somebody about something, I might quote from, uh, pick a thing, I don't know. If I'm trying to persuade some, some, somebody from the Democratic Party, I might quote from the Democratic platform, believing that that would give me credibility, that would be meaningful to them. I'd, I'd begin at a point of agreement, right? Well, the, for Matthew, they're going to quote from the Old Testament. It's to a Jewish audience. What's going on that tells us that Luke is for a Gentile audience? Um, well, he includes more stories about Okay, so we get to watch Jesus be very, very kind to some non-Jewish people, which makes people feel like, oh, it's for me, right? I, I get to be a part, this, this looks like me, this sounds like me, it's going to partake with me, very good. Do you know, other th- there's other, other clues that it's got a, more of a Greek audience in mind. Do you guys know? One thing that's a little bit, this, this might be a subtle clue, um, but when Luke gives the genealogy of Jesus, he traces him all the way back to Adam. Because Adam is the father of all people. Whereas Matthew's genealogy only goes back to Abraham. Because he's the father of the Jews. So Matthew's trying to say Jesus is of Abraham. For to Luke he's saying he's, he's one of us. Whoever us happens to be. Okay? So great. Um, does Luke have the three women who are outside? I'm not sure which. I'm not, tell me about that. Oh, in the genealogy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the genealogy is going to go back beyond Abraham. You're going to have this very, very scandalous, um, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, legacy, not legacy, lineage. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got all these, you know, women of, you know, ill repute character setting us up for the Mary revelation, all, all these things for sure. Kelly? I don't know if this is significant, but Luke's the historian too. Yes, very, very good. Defenses. Audience yes, okay. So I don't think, it, so Kelly's saying that another peculiarity of Luke is Luke likes to anchor things in historical detail. So it's from Luke that we learn that when, you know, Caesar Augustus was taking a census, right? You know, all these different, when, or Tiberius, all these different things. He's going to link things to like historical facts because he's very interested in the authenticity of this, the historicity of this. He's the one that begins, he begins with this little short letter to Theophilus, which is either a real dude named Theo or Theophilus means, you know what Theophilus means? Lover, lover of God, Theo is God, Philo is love. So, dear lover of God, because you wanted to understand these things, I've carefully researched everything, and here's what I found. Go time, right? And so that's, that's how Luke is. It's very historical, very detailed, very oriented. Um, you also get a sense of Jesus' humanity. We haven't said that. But whereas Matthew shows Jesus as king, and Mark shows Jesus as servant, Luke shows Jesus largely as in his humanity. Um, how does that get, how do you capture that? How, how do you see that in, in Luke? Man. Okay, so we're going to have the language of the Son of Man, which is the tag for humanity. Very good, Kim. Uh, sweating blood. Sweating blood. So Kelly's, so the whole, you know the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is so much angst that he's literally sweating blood? That gives us a couple of clues here. One is that it's, it, it, it shows Jesus' profound fear. His dread, and it's not just that he's God and he's above it all, but he's a human being about to get crucified. And so it's a very sympathetic view. But it's also very medical. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And so he gives more doctory details, more medical particularities there. Sharon? And you get the rich story of his birth. Yes. Okay. So you get a rich story of Jesus' birth. Most of what we do, when we celebrate Christmas, we're going to either go to Matthew or Luke. But the Linus passages... 
right? That's Luke, okay? The stuff about, and, and really what it is, is because Luke was carefully researching everything from the beginning, if you wanted to research Jesus' birth, who would you talk to? Uh, but more, most intimately, who's going to know the most about Jesus' birth? It's Mary, right? And so Luke is researching. He's getting stuff. You're getting things that nobody would have known. This is direct firsthand. Mary pondered all these things and treasured them in her heart. Well, how do you know that? Because he, he talked to Mary, right? So you get a lot, of great, a lot of great stuff. And so that birth is, again, part of the humanity of Jesus. Is this? He was, he was born in a barn. He's a, he became like one of us. Okay, so we're getting a sense of, I got a little bit of flavor. Matthew and Mark and Luke, they're distinct from one another. It has a particular vantage point and a purpose. How about John? What, what would you say is the point of John or the theme of John? Jesus is God is a great answer. What else am I hearing? Eternal life. Yeah, it's a big phrase actually in John. Was that you, Sylvia? I sort of voice somewhere. Who's that, Jennifer? Whoever said that. Eternal life, Jesus is God. So the deity of Christ is a really strong kind of theme. And he's different. If you read Matthew and then Mark and then Luke, you're going to be like, dude, we just covered this. We just covered this. Lots of redundancy between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call them the synoptics because they look the same. The optics are synonym, right? Same look. They have the same vantage point. They seem the same. There's a great deal of overlap between them. And then you get to John, everything's new, everything's different. It's completely different vantage point, completely different vocabulary, completely different event structure. Whereas in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to get a whole bunch of parables, which are a signpost of Jesus' teaching. John doesn't have a single parable, okay? Everything is different. So when you, if you read Matthew, Mark, if you just go through them all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're going to be like, you, you might get to the point where you're like, okay, we did this, I'm bored. Then you get to John, totally new, totally new take. Okay, Catherine? <laughs> A big theme is salvation, because when new, like when I was told to read, I didn't know anything about the Bible. Yep. And I was told to read John. Yes. So I read it. I understood nothing. But then, but I noticed that they often say that if you want to know. And for me, John, after I say John, is more like yes, he's deity. But he, but, but he is a living, breathing, smelling. You can, John gives us the surrounding, the smell of the perfume. Amen. Just the, just the earthy. Yes. So that is such an interesting, everything you said there is exactly right, Catherine. So John, is not just that we see Jesus as God, which is true, but could make him seem distant. But John is literally Jesus' best friend. And so it's incredibly warm. He knows, he's read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He knows what's out there. He's like, yeah, 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 you know all that. But let me tell you about my friend. And it's a very, very personal, very warm. He's, it's like, you're right, he's full, he gives all these kind of details that are unnecessary details. Like the fragrance of the perfume fill the room is a great example. Um, all these things to, to bring you there. And he can't keep a secret, okay? John, the, the moment Judas walks on the scene, he's like, this is Judas, he's gonna betray Jesus. You're like, John, like... <laughs> little dramatic tension here, buddy, okay? And he's just going to, but he wants you to understand it. He wants it to be clear. He loves to soundbite things, which is why we know soundbites from John. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He likes to take things and like make it all very clear. He's, he's, he really wants you, he wants you to get it. He wants it to be clear, which is a little bit funny because one of the motifs of John is misunderstanding because nothing was clear to these guys, okay? When you, get, when you read through it, they're constantly misunderstanding Jesus. They can't get their head around him. And so John is like, okay, let me try to make this as simple as I can. 
let me like really break this down. And it's, and it's really, really wonderful. So John's book is, is great, and it's, it's different from the rest. Okay, we've got to keep going. Catherine. An example of that is, he, I don't, maybe it's in First John, but he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Yes. That's exactly right. That is First John, and it's, it's exactly the way he writes. He's very clear. Let me, let me make this very elemental, very black and white, very, very plain and direct. He's, he's terrific. Okay, so now we're getting it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or we're separating them out. We can see what they are. What's Acts, you guys? Acts of the Apostles. What's this? Say it loud. Written by Luke. Okay, so it's Luke. It's the sequel to Luke, right? If you read through Luke 1 and then Acts 1, you're like, okay, absolutely the same dude wrote these two things. So it's the sequel to Luke. John? Acts uh, describes the spread of the gospel, spread of the gospel and the inclusion of the Gentiles. That's right. So Acts describes the spread of the gospel and the inclusion of the Gentiles. You might, there's a couple ways you could outline Acts. You could say it's as the gospel goes to Jerusalem, which is home base, to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You're seeing the gospel spread. It is the Acts or the Actions of the apostles, or it is the acts or the actions of the Holy Spirit as the gospel goes out. Um, one thing that's maybe worth noting is that everything, literally everything that happens in the book of Acts is a replay of what already happened in the gospels. Everything that happens in Acts is a duplication of what Jesus did. Luke has arranged it. Kelly, we were just talking about this the other day, right? Did you want to, was there any example of that that struck you when you were, when you were reading through that? I was reading through Paul's arrests and his going to different courts, just like Jesus is arrested during the Passion Week. Yes. Different. That's right. So when Paul gets arrested in the book of Acts, and then he gets drugged into this jurisdiction, and then they send him over here to this jurisdiction, they send him back over here to this jurisdiction. Think of anybody else that got arrested and then had to testify before this guy, and then testify before this guy, and then testify before this guy. Like when you read Paul's arrest, you're like, man, I feel like I've read this before. And they've, they, Luke did it on purpose. What he's trying to say is whatever Jesus did, all of it, we're going to do. And everything that we do, we are walking in his footsteps. And it's, it's really uncanny, the number of like, okay, that's a weird synchronicity here between what happens in the Gospels and what happens in the book of Acts. Our lives are an imitation of his. And that's what Acts is about. Okay, John? Another thing that mounts me around a lot is just like Jesus. Uh, one authority didn't know what to do with him or didn't want to make a decision. That's right. It's the same, it's the exact same thing. that like you're seeing as Paul is being arrested, it's, it's filling out the pattern of the way that Jesus was arrested. Very much so. I don't want to decide here, you decide. Yes, that's right, as they're bouncing them all around. Okay, so book of Acts. What's that, Kelly? Even the miracles or the acts of the apostles were acts that Jesus did. Yes. They're just doing it their turn. Yeah, so Kelly's saying that you, the, when you watch the miracles, there's, there's like really peculiar similarities in what they do and how they do it. Jesus famously said to a little girl, uh, Talitha kume, which means little girl, get up. Peter heals a woman named Tabitha. And if you could read Greek, you would know that he said Tabitha kume, which means Tabitha, get up. And it is an, it's, a, it's an intentional echo. Jesus says, little girl, get up. Peter says, Tab, you know, Talitha kume, Tabitha kume. It's like, okay, they're meant to remind us of these things. Okay? So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. What's next? Romans. Romans. What's Romans about, you guys? So much. So much. But what is it? What's it about? 
salvation. Summary of the gospel is not a bad answer. Righteousness. Yeah. I, right, I would say, if I, I mean, it, it, Romans is, as I've told you before, the greatest thing ever written. But righteousness by faith, that's what Romans is. It's the gospel message. But how do an unrighteous people like us, how, how do people like us stand before a righteous God and not be destroyed? How could that possibly happen? Well, there is a righteousness granted by faith. We don't earn it. It's a gift given to those who receive it by grace. That's what Romans is about on every page. Righteousness by faith is, is the great theme of Romans. How about 1 Corinthians? That might be a little bit harder to summarize. What's 1 Corinthians about? Joyce? Don't be immature and live out Okay, that's not a bad answer, right? Don't be immature. Don't live out of your humanity, but, but live out of Christ's life. That's, I like this. Suzanne? Okay, good. And there's a couple of books that are gonna, they're going to do that. Um, Yes, I, I, I might. If I had to save unity, I might put that over the over Ephesians. We'll get to that, but it's one of the themes. It's, I think that's a little bit more. That's not the. That's like a Roman numeral, but it's not like the heading of Corinthians. It fits into it. What what what's, what superintends First Corinthians, Kelly? Uh, I just I said correction for orderly worship and holiness. Okay, I think that's a pretty. I'm gonna we're gonna go with that for correction for orderly worship and holiness. Here's the problem, you guys. One city. What city in America is Corinth? Vegas. Vegas. Okay. Corinth is Vegas. Okay. Corinth is a cesspool. Apologies to those of you that are from Vegas. But it is a, it is a licentious, depraved place. It has been. And the gospel has come there. And what we find is that when you come to Christ out of some context, your context doesn't just disappear. Have you noticed this? You all came to Christ out of a particularly, I don't know, liberal progressive context or particularly conservative context, a particularly wealthy context, particularly, you know, whatever your world is, you came to Christ out of that. And it didn't all just disappear when you became a Christian. And so the Corinthians, Paul's got to write, there's a lot of correction in his first letter to the Corinthians because their lives are just a mess. And so I'd say correct, like how to live a holy life. You guys, come on, let's, let's do this. There's a lot, it's a hodgepodge. There's a lot going on there. But I'd say corrections for holiness, for worship. They're screwing up communion. They're like sleeping with their mother-in-laws. It's just a mess. And uh, he's trying to like kind of bring some order into all the, all the chaos. Okay. Uh, is it stepmother? Whatever. Yeah, that's, I guess that's right. Stepmother. Yeah, your father's new wife. That's right. Not much better though. <laughs> right, right, still bad. Okay, now 2 Corinthians, it's to the same place, but it's a very, very different letter. What's, what's Tuco about? What's going on there? I see repentance. You see repentance, yes, this whole passage about what, what true repentance looks like. Very good. Kelly, what's going on in 2 Corinthians? Uh, there's, it's, it's a comforting tent, and he's recognizing the sorrow for the repentance. Yeah. Defending his ministry. Yes, yes. Okay, it's a very painful letter. Let's, let, let's give you a sense. He comes right out of the gate really strong. Go to 2 Corinthians 1. Um, just to kind of get the flavor of it. 2 Corinthians 1. Let's listen to this. He says, uh, I'll pick it up in verse 3. Praise be to the God. Just listen, listen for recurring terms. So it won't be hard. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. 
If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Did you hear anything repeated? <laughs> I mean, over and over. Okay. It, is the, it is the most painful letter. Paul is hurting. He is hurting. And he's writing to people that he knows are hurting. Because guess what? We're always hurting. We're broken people in a broken world. And because there's so much pain in this letter, 2 Corinthians is by far Paul's most poetic work. His, his language is, is like, whereas Romans is like didactic and dunk 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 Corinthians, he's just beaten, and he is tender, and he, he speaks in, these, in much, much more flowery language as he's, as he's working out his angst. Sharon? This is very encouraging. He is. In this letter. Absolutely. And he, but he's saying things like, you know, man, we are beaten down, but we're not dead, right? We are wounded, but we're still, we're still going at it. Right? And he's going to, and in the midst of all of this, he's going to defend himself because the, what, what's going on? Kelly, do you know why does he have to defend himself to the Corinthians? Do you know the story there? Super apostles. Have That's right. They're, they're dispelling the gospel that's not the gospel. That's right. They're, they're basically saying, who is Paul? He's away. He's just a timid little mouse. That's right. So there is this, it's really interesting. There's nothing new under the sun. We have today in the American church kind of this concept of celebrity pastors. We've got these high profile, like, you know, these are, the, these are the great ones. And Paul, Paul of all people, was not among them. He was not one of the celebrities. He's not one of the super apostles. And because he wasn't a super apostle, um, he's like, you know, they're like, who are you, Paul? We want to go, we want to chase these ones. They have more fame, more glory, more, you know, uh, um, commendability attached to them. And so they're dismissing Paul, and Paul's like, all right, that's fine. It's fine, you know. Well, those guys are not here for your good. These guys are just trying to take your money. But I'm here laying my life down for you, but that's cool. You know, whatever you want. And it's, there's, so there's a defensive tone because they are dismissive of him. He's not as pretty as the other ones are. There's something about him that's not as, he doesn't drive the richer car that they drive. And so they're, they're like, oh, they want to chase something a little more with a little better reputation. And he's defending that. He's like, man, I have laid down my life for you people. You want, a, you want a letter of commendation? You want proof that I'm legit? It's you. I led you to Christ. Like, I'm the reason you're even in the kingdom. That should be enough for you. That, that's kind of a theme. And it's, again, it's very, very painful to love someone, to serve someone, and be rejected by them. Which, once again, <laughs> you know anybody else who is loved and is served and who has been rejected? Paul is living this cruciform life. He's walking out like Jesus. And you see it maybe as clearly in 2 Corinthians as any other book. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1, 2 Corinthians. What's next? Galatians. What's Galatians about, you guy? Foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. What's going on in Galatians? What's their issue? Yeah, John? What he was facing is the people that come in, teachers that come in after him who were uh, Jewish Christians, telling them, okay, uh, Jesus, Jesus isn't enough, you've also got to be circumcised and uh, follow all the ritual law, the law of Moses. That's right. 
So the big controversy in Galatians is, is in one word, it's circumcision, but there's more going on than just that. It's that the, Jesus is a Jew and he came for the Jews. And then a bunch of Gentiles joined the church. And people weren't all that happy about it because who wants the people that aren't like us keep the dirty people away? And then they begrudgingly, all right, fine. You can come in as long as you do our religious rituals. As long as you get circumcised, then you can come in. And Paul like loses his mind. He just kind of goes crazy, even on Peter, who had been led astray. So it's all about this idea of are we saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ or by faith in Jesus plus the fulfillment of religious ritual? And Paul is really, really strong on this question. No, 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 no. We're saved by faith alone. He says to Peter, you're a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you are forcing the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Stop it. And he gets in his face, and he shuts him down. It's a very strident letter, and not just religious ritual, but there's racism in this because the Gentiles are dirty, and the Jews don't want to associate with those, those Greeks, and Paul is rebuking that. So Galatians is about the circumcision controversy. They're saved by faith alone. All those things. Those are, it's, a, it's a very rich book on that question. Catherine. Isn't Abraham uh, an example of that because he had said he was saved by faith alone before? Before he was circumcised, right? And so Paul builds this case. that One of his arguments is that, listen, Abraham himself, God said to him, uh, you know, God declared him righteous before he was circumcised. So he's like, listen, Abraham is the father of the Jews, but he's also the father of the Gentiles who aren't circumcised and yet still believe. So stop it, right? I mean, it's his brilliant reasoning as he's trying to make the case. So Galatians is a great book. If, you're, if, you're in a, if you come out of a context where, where you're taught that like, where we have our good credit before God is not just that we believe in him, but that we go through some bunch of stupid religious hoops. Galatians is like, no. That's not what it's about. It's not about hoop jumping. It's not about ritual. It's about faith in Jesus. That's very, very strong argument throughout Galatians. G, you know, do you know GEPC? Some people say God's electric power company. Some say Galatians eat popcorn. You can say what you want. But after G comes E, which stands for Ephesians. So what is Ephesians about? We're going to try to, we won't finish this, but we'll do, see how far we can get. What's Ephesians about, you guys? Nice. I like it. Horizontal relationships is the big theme of Ephesians. Absolutely. There's a, this, this one's a little bit hard to put, make everything fit, but it's a, it's a major theme. But what else, Joyce, are you going to add? Oh, I was going to say, like, from all eternity, God was making one people. Yes. And that's absolutely, Ephesians 2 is all about this whole idea that there is the Jew and then there's the Gentile, and this is the plan. Wrap it up, baby. Right, that there is he's making one new man out of the two. So I think that's that fits very well with this idea. Of there's a the, the horizontal relationships. Ephesians is very interested in how we interact with one another, very much so. What else is it? What else is going on in Ephesians, Kim? It's, uh, the first three chapters are more about our identity in Christ. Yes, very good. Ephesians divides very neatly. The first three, first half, six chapters. The first three, all theology, all doctrine all things that are true, all promises, the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. And then there's this division, and the second half is, what are you going to do about it? Do you guys have Ephesians 4.1 in your brain? How it goes? You may have Ephesians. Look, look up Ephesians 4.1, and you, I want you to see, like, this is, he's like, theology, 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 truisms, all these kind of stuff, and then now, what does it matter? How does it, what's that, what's that split like, Dan? It's but God, it's how it starts. Okay, now that's, that's, that's in Ephesians 2. 
That's in the middle of, the middle of Ephesians is, you were dead in your transgressions and sins which you used to live and you followed the ways of the world, the world that came there. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. So that's a great division, but it's a subdivision. Four, one, how does that go? That's right. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. You've got all these, all these gifts. What do we do about it? And it's here that you're going to get stuff like, husbands, love your wives. Wives submit, to your, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. It's where you're going to get language of, be filled with the Spirit. It's all, it's all imperatives. It's like, what do we do? In light of the unity that we have with Christ, we must live unified with one another. This is basically the way that Ephesians it works out. So if I had to summarize it, I'd probably say unity in Christ. Mm, I lived out unity in Christ. That might be a good summary of, of Ephesians, right? And if, if, if that's too vague to you, no sweat. Go read it <laughs> and, and come up with your own, right? What's going on there? Okay, Ephesians. What's next? <laughs> Philippians. What is Philippians, you guys? <laughs> Triumphant joy. What is it? Anybody else say something? It is a thank you note. Philippians is a thank you note. The Philippians, do you know what part of the world the Philippians were in? And don't say Philippi. Like, where is, where is Philippi? Do you know what region it is? Uh, Macedonia. Who said that? Macedonia. Okay. Now, if I say Macedonian, what are the Macedonians famous for in the New Testament? Do you know? Making it rain, baby. Okay. The Macedonians were generous. They show up. Paul brags on the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Macedonians funded Paul's ministry. And Philippians is a letter to them to say, thanks for the money. That's what it is. It's a thank you note. And it's a, it, one word for Philippians. You kind of already said it, Bob. Joy. Joy, joy, joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Re- rejoice. Okay. It's a happy letter. It's a grateful letter. Um, it's got Philippians 2 in it. What's Philippians 2? The V, right? The Christ Him. That Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, made himself nothing, taken on the very nature of the servant, humbled himself as obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, bam, God exalts him to the highest place, gives him the name above everything, right? That's, a, that's Philippians. It is a letter of like the kingdom, it's the joy that we find in seeking the lowest place that God exalts to the highest place. Philippians. Okay, Kelly? The crazy thing about it is all that joy he's writing it from house arrest. He's in prison. It's probably one of his last letters. He knows he's about to die. Yes. But it's still filled with all this joy because he's finishing his good things. That's right. Filled with joy. Even though he's in prison, there is some form of joy. And by the way, that's where we get Ephesians 4, what is it, 6? How does it go? Uh, Be anxious about nothing but in everything through prayer and petition. Present your request to God in the peace of God, which transcends your all understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds. He's, he's writing this letter about joy from prison and saying, it's cool. Rise above. Because we're, our lives are hidden in Christ. Okay, Philippians, what's left? Colossians. Colossians is a little tricky. What's Colossians about? Holy living. Say it again. Okay, so holy living, that's good. That's not, that's not a bad start for Colossians. There's, there's, it's kind of like Ephesians. There's a lot of stuff going on there. What else is going on? What's, what's happening in Colossians? If there's any, it's a little bit unique in that it specifically is addressing false teaching, which is not all that common in Paul. Right? Have you heard about this? It's, an, it's a book about Gnosticism. And he's trying to teach, like, oh, man, there's all these people saying all this stuff that's not true. But Jesus is dominant over all things. The supremacy of Christ is really clear in Colossians. It, um, it has a twin. What's the, what's the twin of Colossians? Ephesians. Ephesians, right? If you read Ephesians, just do this. Read Ephesians, and then read Colossians. Be like, oh, deja vu. 
Lots of similarity in structure here, but with a, with a different twist. <laughs> Correcting this heretical teaching in Colossians. Okay, we've got a couple more minutes. All right, so we're going to skip ahead. How about any book that we haven't gotten to after Colossians, because we're not going to be able to do them all, that you, want, that you know the answer to? What's anything else that you want to throw out there? Yeah, Mike? Most of is Hebrews would be like, Jesus is better. That's a great answer. So Hebrews is, Jesus is better. What's he better than? He's better than all the stuff that came before. It's like he's like the fulfillment of everything that's been born He's better than Moses. He has a better temple. He makes a better sacrifice. He's better, 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 better. Absolutely. It's a great summary. The supremacy of Christ in all things. That he's better than, the, his, his, this new covenant is better than the old covenant. Everything he does, he does it better than anybody else. And we should follow him. Hebrews is a great book. Very complicated book. A couple more. First John. First John. What's that about, John? How, how do you know that you have the Son? How do you know that you have the Spirit? How do you know? How do I know that? I, can I? Ha, is there any basis? We know, we know. He's going to say the phrase, we know, like 12, 14 times. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know. Can I be confident? Can I have assurance? Can I really know that I'm safe? That's what First John is about. Very good. What's Philemon? You got that one? It's a weird little thing. Extending grace. Say it again. Extending grace. Extending grace to who? What's the story of Philip of Philemon? The, the uh, slave that ran away. That's right. About a runaway slave named Onesimus, and uh, he's writing to this guy named Philemon. It's Paul to Philemon, and say, "Hey, I found something that used to belong to you, and it's a human being named Onesimus, and he came to Christ, but he ran away. So he's a refuge. He's a fugitive from the law, and I'm sending him back to you." Not that you might re-obtain your property, but that you might make, but you might discover him as a brother in Christ. And it's such a crazy thing. You should read Philemon because it's on the one hand, if you're Philemon, I mean, if you're Onesimus, you're thinking, can I please not have to go back to the master that I ran away from, right? I mean, you'd be like, can we just not do that? But if you read the letter, Paul could scarcely be more manipulative, okay? He's writing to Philemon. He's like, hey, listen, here he is. You know, he's yours. Do whatever you want with him. I'm not even going to mention the fact that you owe me your very self. Um, or that he's a brother in Christ, or that though he used to be useless, now he is useful, which is what his name means, or that Jesus has redeemed you from slavery. We won't even, we won't even mention that, but here's Philemon. I mean, here's Onesimus, right? And he sends him back and, he, and, and makes him free. Right? He's no longer going to be a fugitive. He's going to be set free because Paul has intervened on his behalf. It's a really, it's a fascinating look at the ethics of slavery in the New Testament and how Paul is submissive to the law while completely subverting an unjust law. It's really a very fascinating book. Okay, so we got to stop. So here's, here's the point. If you're all done, you're like, well, we didn't get to the rest of them. Right, we didn't. Go read them, okay? What we want, and we're going to do this again, by the way. Strap in. We're going to do this for the Old Testament next, okay? But this book is available to you, that its treasures might be discovered. But you're going to get it. Here's how you're going to get it. 15 minutes a day, every day, for the rest of your life. That's all. Layer by layer, 15 minutes a day, little bit, little bit, little bit, as these secrets. And keep this chart and then fill it out. Like read, go home and read Second Peter and then take a stab at it. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure what I would say, but maybe it's about this. And it's not about getting some immaculate answer as much as it is immersing yourself in this book that its treasures would be available to you. Okay? All right. Oh, what? What am I doing? Oh, um, you can... Pile up those pens up here in a chair, if you don't mind, because I stole those all out of the office. And I don't have any news, right? That's it. So that's all. Thanks. <laughs>